We are thankful to the Lord that he has afforded us this wonderful moment and opportunity to come and worship him in this place. Uh, this is the first day of the month of May and the very first Sunday of this new month and we look back with uh, a sense of gratitude that the Lord has uh, enabled us to enter into this uh, new month, the fifth month uh, of the year. And his faithfulness never changes. He's a God who is true to who he is. And it is for that reason that when we look back at the 25 years that this church has been in existence, uh, a fitting theme for our uh, uh, church uh, this year could not be any better than great is thy faithfulness. God has truly been faithful to us. And so may I invite you to turn uh, your Bibles to Psalm 89, Psalm 89, and uh, we'll spend uh, two or three Sundays in this psalm, and this morning we will read from the first verse to verse 37. Psalm 89, verse 1 to 37, as I bring a message to us entitled, A Confident Song to God's Faithfulness. May I begin reading from verse 1 to 37. A Maskeel of Ethan the Israelite. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can, com can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise, you steal them. You crushed Rehab like a carcass. You scattered, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabo and Hermon joyously praise your name. 
You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout. Who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Who exalt in your name all the day. And in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord our King. To the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of all the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law, and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes, and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the road, and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be forced to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me, like the moon. It shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. There ends our Bible reading and let us seek the face of the Lord once again as we sit still before the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Father, we have heard the resounding echo in this passage that we have read, that you, our God, are a faithful God, that you accomplish all your purposes, that you bring to pass all your promises, and even when we as your people Respond to your faithfulness in wretched ways and in unfaithful ways. You still remain the great God who is consistent with his character 
and with who he is. So may you open our eyes, our dear Father, that we might perceive from your word that which is the foundation of our confidence and of our trust and of our hope for the unknown and uncertain future. And that is your faithfulness. A faithfulness that is demonstrated in the way that you relate to and with your people. And the way that you relate to and with your people is unchangeable. Because great, O Lord, is your faithfulness. So may you speak to us now that we may step out of this place with a a foot that is more fame and sure, with a step that has been established by you, with a resolve and a commitment that will be true to the God who is faithful. We ask and pray all this in the name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our opening hymn, and if you are very observant, is the same hymn that we sang last Sunday. Great is thy faithfulness. And, and that, in a sense, is the anthem for our series, if not the anthem for the rest of the year. Not only as we remind ourselves of the past, and how we have known the faithfulness of God in the past, but also to reassure ourselves and, and look to the future with the kind of hope that says we can step into the unknown future because the God we have known in the past and the God who has dealt with us in the past is a God who does not change. On 22nd June 1997, a handful of our brothers and sisters held their first ever formal church service at Chaisa Basic School. And 25 years later, here we are. Because God has been faithful. Children have been born to some of the founding members of this church. And those children, some of them have proceeded on to marry and to have children. We have had many that have come through this church and many that have left some to glory and others to other towns, to other countries, to other churches. But when we look back at the 25 years, if we do so with the eyes of faith, 
If we do so as the psalmist does, we will not fail to see and we will not fail to acknowledge that truly our God has been faithful. And that his loyalty, so to say, his covenant commitment, so to say, to his people, including ourselves, is something that calls forth a celebrative song, a confident song, a song that reminds us that here we are and we have come this far because we believe in a God who is faithful. This entire property here was not in sight when these brethren were beginning. But God in his own graciousness, in his own mercy, he provided the resources, he provided the finances to purchase this plot. And it took a number of years to convince the city council authorities to convert, convert this plot from a residential plot into a church plot. But God was faithful. Eventually, that was done. And the church began to meet in the house. And with the passage of time, it became clear that the house, the room in which we were meeting was not big enough. It was not going to accommodate everyone that began to come to this church. And those of you that were there remember very well how that room would be so full. I wonder what could have been happening if this structure was not there with the COVID-19 and the social distancing. And everyone was squeezed and crammed together and many others had to sit outside in the sun. Thankfully, I don't remember it raining when we used to meet in that place. But again, God proved his faithfulness to us and here we are, seated in this place. And with extensions that are still being made to this place, Yes, the finances are trickling in slowly and we begin to ask ourselves, when will we ever complete this structure? But if the God that we believe in is a faithful God who has seen us all these years to the present moment, then we ought to trust and to believe that he will not abandon us. 25 years later, the church has a daughter church, a church plant at Lifeway, and meeting in their own structure. And a plot of land which is far bigger than our own here. And with further plans to plant another church in another area 
Because God is faithful. And if we do not sit back and reflect on his goodness, then we are failing. We are failing to be a people that are grateful to him. We are failing to be a people that lift up their eyes to the throne of God in heaven and to say to him, Lord, we are thankful. Thus far, he has brought us. And Psalm 89 is one of those psalms that is full of these reminders of who God is to his people. And, and if you listened as I read on, there must have been echoes of statements and words that speak to this very fact of God's faithfulness. The word faithfulness itself, the word loving kindness or steadfast love, they go hand in hand with God's faithfulness as we are going to see in a little while. So what God has been all this time to his people in the history of the nation of Israel, that he continues to be to you and me as individuals and corporately to us as a local body at Emmersdale Baptist Church. And so as we continue to look at the theme of God's faithfulness, as we continue to unpack our church theme for this year, I bring you to Psalm 89. And we have already established in our two previous messages that God, our God, is faithful. That God commits himself and binds himself to what he has promised to do. And he not only has the power to accomplish what he has promised to do, but is willing to do so towards his people. But as we will see later on, there are times when it does not appear to us that God is faithful. There are times when we want to scream to him, where is your faithfulness? And that is what happened with Israel. And there were times when they were tempted to scream the, the question back to God, where is your faithfulness? And, and when we will proceed on later uh, to look at the other remaining verses, look for example at verse 38, which begins with the word but. Having celebrated and sung of the faithfulness of God, in verse 38, the psalmist says, But you, but, but now you have cast us off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. 
And, 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 and we shudder for a moment and, and, and begin to ask ourselves, how, how can God renounce his covenant with David? Could he ever even do such a thing? Well, the truth still remains that God is faithful. The psalmist is feeling, is looking at everything around him and his estimate of what he sees and all the turmoil and all the confusion and all the hopelessness that the children of Israel were now going through. When he looked at all that in his eyes, it did appear like God had abandoned and forgotten and nullified his covenant. And yet the truth is the very opposite. Have you been there before? Have you felt like that before? Have, have you felt like one who, who wants to scream back to God, yes, you, you say you are faithful, that your steadfast love will last into eternity. It is forever. But look at this. How do I make what do I make of all this? Haven't you abandoned me? Haven't you forgotten me? Haven't you renounced your commitment to me? No. God would never do such a thing. Psalm 89 is introduced to us as a masquee of Ethan the Israelite is mentioned way back in 1st Kings chapter 4. Now it does not mean that Ethan himself is the one who wrote this psalm. It may have been his descendants using his name because this psalm is speaking of things that happened way beyond the time of Ethan himself. The kingdom of David was in ruins. The children of Israel perhaps had already been taken away into captivity in Babylon. And all the promises and all the covenant commitments that God had established with their forefather David seemed to be in the ruins, so to say. And, and, and therefore they are now crying out to God, where is your faithfulness? It is a royal psalm. Centering on the Davidic dynasty. And at its very heart is God's covenant with David. Which we find in Second Samuel chapter 7. The promise that God gave to David. The promise of a throne that there will always be a king from David's line that will sit on the throne of David forever. And the psalm opens with a reference to the promise that was given to David. 
which are the very words that you would find in Second Samuel chapter 7. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I say it, steadfast love will be built built up forever in the heavens you will establish your faithfulness so this is the promise that the psalmist is reminding himself of the promise of God's faithfulness and his attributes the attributes that make the promise all the more certain the promise that was given to David and the promise that God had performed that God had accomplished although over the course of history it began to appear that those promises are no longer binding. That those promises are no longer their experience. While he begins with the great acknowledgement of God and his commitment to his people, he ends with the somber and sorrowful contrast of what it was and what they were now experiencing. But I don't want us to fail to see that even in the midst of these two contrasts, what it does is to turn to the glorious past, to turn to the Davidic covenant in Second Samuel 7, and there to have his faith rise out of the grief and the discouragement of the present. He makes, he takes the promise and he turns it into a song. And that song is what he dwells upon and it li- he lingers over the song and he wants to sing it and he wants the congregation of Israel to join him in singing it. And to make known the faithfulness of the living God. Do you see that in the opening two verses he mentions faithfulness, God's faithfulness twice. In verse 1 and verse 2. But he does not leave it there. He goes on to continue to talk about it. We see it in verse 5. We see it in verse 8 and verse 14. And on and on all the way to the end. He is singing about the faithfulness of God. In spite of what was happening. In spite of the Jewish monarch that had fallen, in spite of the Davidic throne seemingly uh, uh, forgotten and abandoned and they were now under the oppressive rule of the other nation and the psalmist is still confident that he will sing about God's faithfulness. And there are three things that I would like us to consider from this Psalm, the first 37 verses, three things that, that, that sum up the song, that are a resounding echo that we must constantly hear in our hearts and in our ears and in our minds concerning this faithfulness of God. Clear truths 
that are intended for you and for me. The first thing that we see is that God is worthy to be praised for his faithfulness even in desperate times. These were desperate times that they were going through. But it does not begin with the desperate times. He begins with the faithfulness of God. He begins by announcing the theme of the song. It's the steadfast love of the Lord. It's the faithfulness of the Lord. And remember that Israel is surrounded by disasters. Israel is surrounded by oppressive nations. And that appears to be a contradiction to all the promises that were given to David. But what does the psalmist do? He resolves to celebrate the attributes of God. He resolves to sing. And he will sing because he says that these two attributes were ever in operation and will last forever. And the word that is translated in verse 1 as steadfast love and everywhere else in this psalm as steadfast love and in some other versions as loving kindness is a very rich biblical word. A very rich biblical word. It means covenant Faithfulness, covenant loyalty, God's unbroken commitment and covenant devotion to love the people that he has called to himself. So whenever you see the steadfast love of the Lord or the loving kindness of God, it's one Hebrew word, Hesed, H-E-S-E-D, which speaks of this commitment, undying commitment, unbroken commitment that God has to his own people. And that's the point at which the song is introduced to us. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Your fame and solid and alterable devotion to who we are as your people. That is what I will sing of. Because great is your faithfulness. What about you? In the moments of your despair, in the moments of your discouragement, in the moments of your disappointment, where do you turn to? The times were horrible for the children of Israel. The times were desperate. They were no longer enjoying the freedom that they once knew. They were captors. Answerable to those that had enslaved them. But the first thing that the psalmist remembers 
is the steadfast love of God and his covenant commitment to David in particular. And that is what he starts with in his singing. The Bible encourages us, exhorts us rather, to walk by faith and not to walk by sight. But where does this faith come from? It comes from God's word. And it's the promises that God had given to David that form the basis and the ground and establish the ground upon which the psalmist stands in order to sing in the midst of desperate times. So faith in God produces the music. The music that enables us to praise God even when everything around us is falling apart. We rise up in our perplexity, in our confusion, and our mind flies back to what God has said and has committed himself to do and has promised to do, even if it appears like he is not doing so. Because we know who he is that is a faithful God, we can still sing. Because that's what faith does. It is not dictated by the circumstances around you. It sees beyond those circumstances and sees a God who is faithful. Do you see how he praises God because of his incomparable sovereign majesty, beginning from verse 5 to 8? Let the heavens praise your wonders, O God. Your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? He knows that there is only one God. And this God is in heaven. And is surrounded by the praises of these holy ones. The angels. Of various degrees of glory. And even among all these angels, he says, there's no one who is like the Lord, the God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. Who is mighty as you are. The answer is no one. God is worthy to be praised for his faithfulness even in desperate times. The second point we see is that God's sovereign power and unchanging character mean that he remains faithful to his people. His unchanging power and character is the reason why he cannot renounce, he cannot break any single word that he has committed himself to do. So having spoken of the faithfulness of God, the psalmist now considers the power of God, the unchanging character of God. 
from verse 9 all the way to verse 18. What he's saying to us and what he was saying to the exiled children of Israel was simply this. That God is effectively faithful because he is his people's shield. He is his people's sure defense against their enemies. And he can be all this to them because of his sovereign power and because of his unchanging character. There are two spheres in which the writer praises God's power. If you look at verse 9 going downwards, it says, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you steal them. Storms at sea could be such a terrifying thing. Just as terrifying as a plane that experiences turbulence. At a high altitude. And the pilot announces over the communication system. We are experiencing bad weather. We are going through turbulence. And he issues the breast command. Even those that have never been to church before, that is the time they begin to pray. It's terrifying. And, and that's what the psalmist is talking about. All, all you need to do is read the Gospels. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ was with his disciples in the boat. He was tired and exhausted because he shared in our humanity and he went to sleep. And the boat began to be swamped with water. There was a strong wind, a ferocious, fierce storm that arose at sea and they went to wake him up. Don't you care that we perish? Some of these disciples were seasoned, experienced fishermen who must have been exposed to such storms before. But they were all scared. What did the Lord do? He awoke, stretched his hand over the sea and uttered only two words. Be still. Be still. And instantly, immediately, the raging sea was calm. What kind of a man is this that commands even the seas to be calm? That is our God. That is who he is. 
not just the physical seas, but every storm that arises in our life's journey, every wave that rises, He steals it. That is sheer power. Oh, that God may teach us to be still and to know that he is God. Because oftentimes in the midst of the storm, that is something that we forget. And we begin to kick and to scream and we begin to look for plan B and C and D of escape and we neglect the one who rules over the raging seas. But the second thing that you notice is the power of God over heaven and earth. Over the north and the south. The heavens, verse 11, are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabo and Hermon, great mountains of those days, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm and strong is your hand and high is your right hand. All these things were created by you. And we look at them and we tremble. But they are your creation. And that communicates to us our smallness in comparison to the one who made these towering things. That tourists pay. To go and see and marvel at. He praises God's power in creation. But secondly, he he praises God's power in his rule over the events of history. God's power in his rule over the events of history. That's the point of verse 10. You crushed Rahab. Like a carcass, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And we ask, who is Rahab? Well, we are not to think of Rahab, that woman with a a, a disreputable character in Jericho who had faith and God spared her life and the life of her family by being kind to the spies that Moses had sent. That's not the Rahab that is being talked about here. In the Old Testament, the name Rahab is used for Egypt. Look at chapter 87 and verse 4. Egypt was the superpower of the day. Chapter 87 and verse 4. Among Those who know me, I mention Rehab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. This was the nickname for Egypt. And what is the psalmist drawing our attention to? And what was he drawing his people's attention to in this great song? 
of God's faithfulness, the historical events, the miracles of God in delivering the children of Israel from Egyptian slavery, from Egyptian bondage. You crushed Rehab. You crushed Egypt like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Is that not what God does in our lives? How many of us look back to the power of God that delivered us from the slavery to sin? The crushing blow that was inflicted to our stubborn and stony heart and God subdued our hearts and God dragged us to himself and God gave us a new heart. And we now can sing praises to him. The one that we ignored, the one that we did not have time for, the one that we had run away from, and the one that we had rejected. And then the psalmist brings in many of the other attributes of God, having talked about his power and his character. He mentions the righteousness and the justice of God, the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, the glory and the strength and the favor of God. And and he's saying all these things are, are basic to the character of God And if I begin to ask myself if this is who God is and this is what he has promised to do, is he willing to do it? Is he willing to do it for us? And these attributes assure us that the answer is yes, God is willing because he's righteous and just. Justice is giving to everyone what is due to him or her. Acquittal for those who are innocent and condemnation for those who are guilty. Justice is the application of God's righteousness. It's righteousness that perfectly understands what is right and what is wrong. Steadfast love and faithfulness. His commitment, his loyalty to his promises. Promises that he would not violate, but he will keep them for the sake of his people. And and also he talks in verse 17 about the glory, about the strength and the favor. Or the much more familiar with the grace of God. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. Our strength is exalted. And the source of our hope is solidified. So to praise God and to rejoice in Him becomes our calling. Look at verse 15 and 16. Blessed are they who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. Blessed are such a people. 
Are we such a people? We're hurrying on to our third and final point. God is worthy to be praised for his faithfulness, even in desperate times. Number two, God's sovereign power and unchanging character are the ground for of his faithfulness to us. But finally, God's covenant commitment brings countless blessings to his people, including loving discipline. God's covenant commitment brings countless blessings to his people, including loving discipline. And that is what we see from verse 19 all the way to verse 37. There are six critical features of God's covenant with David. If you read Second Samuel chapter 7, you see the critical features of God's covenant with David. Let me just very, very quickly sum them up. There are six features. Number one, God chose David to be king. David did not apply. David was not even among the expected ones, humanly speaking. He was the youngest in the family. Even when someone was sent to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse, he saw the firstborn pass and, ah, surely this is the one. And the Lord said, no. And David was not even home. And all the sons pass. And God says, none of them. And Samuel asked the father, is there another one? Oh, he's out there, the youngest. Looking after sheep. Oh, call for him. He comes and he's the one. What, what did David do? What did he have that his older brothers did not have? Nothing. God's electing love. God chose us for his salvation when there was no good in us. Nothing at all. No shred of goodness in us. But he chose you. He saved you only according to his good pleasure. Number two, God strengthened David for his work as king. Verse 21. So that my hand shall be established with him, my arm shall also shall strengthen him. And that's what God does for us as well. He does not abandon us to our own strength. He does not abandon us to our own wisdom. He does not abandon us to our own power. But he sets his love upon us and he equipped David and strengthened him. And he does the same for you and for me. We wouldn't be where we are today as a church in 25 years if it were not for God strengthening us for his work. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Thirdly, God protected David from his enemies. Verse 22 the enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. And that's the promise we have found fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail 
against it. God protects us. The Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter before his betrayal, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. The Lord intercedes for us. Just when we feel that there is no hope, just when we think that there is no way that this will be resolved, he comes through because he prays for us. God granted victory to David over his enemies. In verse 23, I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. Not only does God protect us from our enemies, but he also promises victory over our enemies. No temptation has come to you except that which is common to man. But when it does come, God will not allow you to be overwhelmed. He will always provide a way of escape. He will always deliver. Number five, God exhorted David to prominence among the kings of the nations. Verse 24 to 27. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That's what God does. He elevates him to a position of prominence. And the Lord has done the same for you and for me. In Christ, he has exhorted us and he has made us to sit with Christ in the heavenly places. Not something that will happen in the future, but something that we are experiencing even now. And then sixthly, God extends the blessing to David's sons. Verse 28 to 29. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever. And the question is, who sits on David's throne right now? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The one who arises from David's clan, David's posterity, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he has extended the blessings that were promised to David. Now these blessings have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, you and me can receive these blessings if we have faith in him. Because the continuation of David's throne, the succession 
has already been permanently resolved. Christ forever reigns on the throne of David. But God's covenant commitment that brings blessings also brings loving discipline from verse 30 to 37. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the road and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love. If we transgress, God as a loving Father disciplines us. But if He does so, it is not because He is unfaithful. It is not because He has abandoned His people. It is not because He has forgotten about them. The Lord disciplines those He loves and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. But the promise is being made here. The covenant will remain intact. Because its performance is not dependent upon you and me. It's dependent upon the one who has committed himself to that. Verse 34. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. And that is why... He provides for discipline so that he may correct us and bring us to the right path. This is not what I have called you for. This is not what I have promised to do. This is not what I promised you must be in order to receive my blessings. Come back to the right path. Come back to the right way. And you will continue to enjoy those blessings. But if you transgress, I will punish you with the road and your iniquity will be punished with stripes. And he does it out of love and he does it because he's committed to his covenant. What a God. What a God. Nothing is broken. Misery around, but nothing is broken because his word is firm. And I ask you, is this the God that you have come to know? Is this the God whose blessings are now yours through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of kings, one who sits forever on the throne of David? Is is this what you have come to experience? The love of God in its fullness. Oh, that that might be your testimony. Oh, that that might be your sure and firm foundation throughout this life. The steadfast love of God and the faithfulness of our God. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful to you for your word. Thankful to you for speaking to us in such clear terms. Thanking you, O God, that you are the one who by faith puts a song, a confident song, a song of hope in our hearts and upon our lips to praise you, 
and to sit in wonder and adoration of your faithfulness that not even our sin can violate, not even our transgressions can break. May you help anyone among us this morning who has not come to this God, that by your Spirit, O Lord, you will bring them to a deeper conviction of sin, that they may come and seek the favor and the blessing and the forgiveness that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. In whose name we pray. Amen.